Hi, Jacob Wallace here. Welcome to my podcast where I hope to inspire you to walk in your royal identity in Christ and experience God's goodness in every area of your life. I hope you enjoy this message today and that you are encouraged and equipped for kingdom living. So we're, we're in a, just a quick little string of messages here called the End Time Church. We're not gonna talk about this for a long time. Um, as a matter of fact, next week will be the last week that we talk about it. But um, we're in this little string of messages called, called the End Time Church. And more than ever before, you know, I, I grew up in church. Who grew up in church? Like, awesome. Like, maybe you grew up in the Methodist church. We were talking about that today, which John Wesley is the, it's, no. Yeah, John Wesley is the, the creator, I guess. <laughs> Founder. That's, thank you, baby. Um, so maybe you grew up Methodist. Maybe you grew up Lutheran. Maybe you grew up Catholic. Maybe you grew up um, um, in, a, in a different kind of denomination, whatever the case is. And Throughout almost every denomination and every type of, um, we've, we've heard this term that Jesus is coming back, right? I grew up in the Assemblies of God. Oh, rah, rah, rah. Right? I grew up in the AG. And, um, and especially as Pentecostal folk, we were like all about Jesus is coming back in 1988, 88 reasons he should come back in 1988. And, uh, and then that didn't work out. So then they came out with a book called 1989. 89 reasons Jesus will come back. <laughs> it's like, and that one didn't work out. Well, maybe he did. I don't know. Maybe we all missed it. I don't know, but I don't know what's happening. But the reality is, is, is the Bible says that don't grow weary. He is coming back for his church. Amen. He's coming back for his church. And it's our responsibility to remain in a posture of being ready. And what ready means is always keeping your eyes focused on Jesus and doing the work of the kingdom of God right here on earth. On earth as it is in heaven is what the word of God says. It's how Jesus prayed and lived the example of that prayer on earth as it is in heaven. Last week, we talked a little bit about resistance breeds revival. How many of you guys were here last week? Okay, you, the rest of you, you're forgiven. All right. <laughs> now go do six Hail Marys. You'll be all right. I tease, don't do six Hail Marys. Hey, I say the jokes, okay? Calm down over there. Anyway, we, uh, <laughs> we talked about resistance breeds revival and how how the resistance of the culture, resistance of the things that, that, that God um, um, actually sometimes allows uh, creates, a, uh, creates such a posture in the church where we now refocus and realign to his kingdom purposes. It happened in the New Testament. Um, I'll just quickly recap real quick. In Acts, the, Jesus gave the command, go and uh, wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. So the people went, okay, to the promise, uh, went to the upper room to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, after that command that Jesus says, go and wait, till the time that he actually uh, showed up was roughly about 10 days. Okay, now I'd, I'd, uh, I would uh, um, just venture to say that, that most people don't even want to pray for 10 days. They want it like that, right? They want it like that. And, uh, and that's, that's a typical kind of walk in, in, as a believer is if God doesn't answer it right then and there, then we kind of lose hope and we give up, right? And so the Holy Spirit came after about 10 days, the, the, the 120 people up in the upper room what they did was they decided to pray, worship, wait, and they held a business meeting. Good old church, man. 
Well, we need to find the third, we need to find the other disciple to fit in, um, to find the other apostle to fit in, and then they cast lots, and, and uh, they took a vote, <laughs> right? And uh, that's what happened. And so they found that other disciple named Matthias. And so, so that all took place, that all happened, and then the Bible says that suddenly the Holy Spirit came, fell upon everybody in the upper room, and then revival broke out. Okay? Signs, wonders, and miracles. The Bible even puts it like this, that, that in the city of Jerusalem, that the church grew daily in numbers. So let me just say this here for a second, that, that I, don't, I don't think the Bible would mention that if he didn't care about people getting saved, right? About people getting saved. So when people say, oh, he cares about numbers, no, we care about people. People matter. People matter. We're not into big church, we're into big people. We're into growing big people, understanding that who they are, okay? And I'm not talking about what the potlucks we have here, not big people like that. I'm talking about like, like, like growing them in their faith and moving them along and those kinds of things. And let me just encourage you today that if you're here and you don't know who Jesus Christ is or maybe you've backslidden, maybe you're somebody here this morning who once had a fire relationship with God. Maybe you were close to God, but lately it's been on the fringes. I want you to know that today is the day to get it right. Right now. Don't wait till tomorrow. Why? Because tomorrow's never promised. I'm not trying to talk to you about fear. I'm talking about reality. Right. Reality. That's some friends of mine that ran a ministry called True Reality Ministries. They were awesome. But the real purpose of the church in the book of Acts really didn't happen until persecution hit, until resistance actually really took place. My hero, Stephen, in the Bible, he uh, got stoned to death for, for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They circled around and began to throw rocks at him and stones at him until he eventually passed away. The first martyr of the church for preaching the gospel of Jesus. I can't wait to sit down in heaven with him and have a conversation with him and talk with him. He's my hero. Why? Because not only did he die for the gospel, he also lived for it. And the reason why that he died is because he lived for it. And most of us will want to die for the gospel easy, but most of us have a hard time even sharing our faith with, Jesus, with somebody at work. Why? Because we're afraid of what might happen. The culture of this world is ready to throw stones at you, I promise. They're ready. But what are we going to do about that? So it was that day that resistance took place, and then the church then began to scatter. Now, the Bible says this. He says, you will receive my power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses unto Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, everything was happening in the city of Jerusalem until persecution, until the resistance took place. Then resistance happened, and all of a sudden, poof, the church spread all over the place. The church spread all over the place. The true intention of what God had promised the church didn't happen until persecution. Didn't happen until the resistance took place. So let me just encourage you here this morning. If there's some resistance going on in your life, it's not because the devil's just against you. It just means you're on the verge of the next breakthrough for your life. You're right there at the step. You're right there at the place where God's going to begin to bust out and break out all over your life and all over the things that's going on in your heart. The culture right now is facing resistance, guys. Listen, the church is facing resistance from the culture, from the world, from the ideas, the antichrist spirit that's roaming this country. It is, we're facing resistance. You can't say this, you can't say that, you can't do this, and you can't do that. Resistance is happening right now in the church. But let me tell you, the church hasn't seen its greatest days yet. They're just ahead. Amen. They're just ahead. Amen. That was last week. 
you missed it, that's it. You can catch it online. This week, we're gonna unpack real briefly the three keys to be an effective, to be an effective believer in these last days. In these last days, if you've got your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. And here's what it says. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity. I like that word, timidity. Some translations, probably your translation that you're reading right now says fear. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline, sound mind, or self-control are the other things your translations say. And they all mean the same thing, okay? So let me just talk real quick. And the reason why I like this word timidity here, that I'm reading this out of the NASB, the NAS, uh, uh, yeah, that one. Yeah, the New American. Thanks, thanks, Mario. It's a good thing you taught that class. I should have attended. <laughs> I like that word timidity because here's the definition in the Webster's Dictionary what it says timidity is. It's the state or quality of lacking in self-assurance, courage, or bravery. See, sometimes some people think that because you're brave or you have courage or you have self-assurance, it means that you're reckless. The idea behind that is not being reckless. It means we're not afraid to step out and make tracks and do things for Jesus when there's a risk involved. It's not about reckless. Listen, those who seem, oh, that's just reckless thinking. That's just reckless this. I want you to know something. It's not about being reckless. It's about having faith and stepping out. Where there seems to be nothing there, someone has to be brave enough to step out and do something about it. Somebody has to. How many of you guys would agree with this statement and believe that fear has gripped our nation? Yeah? Fear has gripped our nation, and I'm sad to say that I believe also that fear and timidity has gripped the church. We've lost our self-assurance. We've lost our courage. We've lost our bravery. Fear has gripped the church. So real quickly, how do we know if we're being controlled by a spirit of fear? Because obviously it's a spirit, right? Because 1 Timothy chapter 1 says, God did not give us a spirit of fear. If God didn't give us a spirit of fear, where does fear come from? It comes from the opposite of God, which is, yeah, the devil, the adversary, the one who comes to kill, steal, and destroy, Right? But God didn't give us a spirit of fear, so that means the enemy, Satan himself, is giving this spirit of fear across our nation and across our churches in this nation. So how do we know if we have this spirit of fear, if we're actually being controlled by it? Well, first of all, before we get into that, I believe that religion drives fear. Religion drives fear. Now, whenever you hear somebody talk about religion, we have to understand that we're not talking about church. There's a difference, okay? Religion is a uh, systematic ways of doing things. Don't go side of the box. Don't confine. We gotta do three songs. I'm just breaking it down as elementary as I can. We gotta do three songs and that's it, okay? Come on, pastor, preach it to me. The game's on. I gotta hit, the, I gotta hit pizza ranch before the Baptists do. Come on, somebody. ha. <laughs> Religion is this way, this system of doing things. It's a, as a matter of fact, you, you get chained, you get bound up by religion 
Because anytime somebody or something else comes down the pike where we go, ooh, I don't know about that, then I like to suggest to you this morning that maybe you're being controlled by a spirit of religion. It happened with Jesus in his time as well. See, the Pharisees were driven by religion. Come on, somebody. As a matter of fact, they were so driven by religion that they tried to stop and kill Jesus multiple times before his time was up. Multiple times. We, the Pharisees all gathered together in their council and they said, we better stop that. We better stop that move. Because if we don't, the people are gonna become unruly. The people are gonna be independent. The people are gonna to begin to start moving on their own and having a free voice and having free choice. And be, we need to, we need to uh, uh, compound them and we need to control the situation. Let's go get the leader. There's one story in the Bible that I love so much because it's unexplainable. It goes against every religious thought that we have even now. Jesus is in the crowd. They begin to come against him. And they were actually gonna take him away and kill him. And the Bible says that Jesus then slipped through the crowd and he disappeared. Well, did Jesus really just duck and dodge? No, I believe that the Holy Spirit came upon him and something happened where he was either just walking through things or whatever the case is. No, Pastor Jake, that can never be like, we need to have a logical reason why that happened. Well, the logical doesn't necessarily always add up to our supernatural logic. And I think, I think what's happened amongst the church is that we've replaced logical, logic and intellect in the place of the supernatural. I'll get to that in a second. Religion drives fear. The Pharisees, they were afraid of losing control. They masked their religion by guarding against anything that went against what they were teaching. That's religion. Control. Control. Someone say control. Control is driven by fear. How do we know we're being driven by fear, this spirit of fear? Well, most of the time people want control. See, the reason why people act out and run aimlessly is fear of losing control. Fear of losing control. Let me drop this idea in your heart. If you find yourself saying and believing, if I were to do it, I would do it like this. Or I wish it was like this. If you find yourself saying that more than saying, I wonder what it would be like if we just trust God. If we just keep moving forward. I suggest to you, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? If our mentality is always being back here rather than God being up there and us not moving with him, right? Are you afraid of what you're gonna lose? Because let me just say something to you. Where God is at is much better than what you have right now. Amen. Where Jesus is at right now, the moving forward, the, 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 going, the going, he's not there anymore like we described last week. He's over here. We just wanna be here, right? We wanna camp here because it's comfortable. We have control over this area. Jesus like, come on, let's come into the deep water. I'm way over here now. And we stay right over here. And we go, no, because this is where I can control my environment. I suggest to you this morning, then what are you afraid of? Are we being driven by the spirit of fear? 
You've heard the great theologian, Carrie Underwood, <laughs> sing Jesus Take the Wheel. Jesus Take the Wheel. I'm not gonna try to sing it. <laughs> right? We've heard Carrie Underwood say Jesus. A lot of us live our lives by that. But really what we're saying is, Jesus, take the wheel, just not that one. Don't take that wheel. Take the one I want to give you. Stop living in, in control. Let Jesus do what he wants to do in your life. Follow him, not your own voice. Amen? Amen. Worry is driven by fear. See, when you worry, what you're really saying is, I don't trust God enough, so I'll do the thinking for him. That's what worry is. Now, I'm not saying don't, like, we can't be concerned, right? My son, he's out. We're gonna go watch a movie, Dad. Okay, great. I don't ask him when he's coming home, right? Yes, there's concern. As a natural, it's a concern. It's a preparing. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about worry, always constantly worrying all the time about everything. I got a family member who does that about everything. Worry, 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 worry. Worry about this and worry about that. I'm like, yo, calm down. It's gonna be okay. There you go again, Pastor Jake, with that reckless attitude. No, there you go again with your controlling heart. Worry, 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 right? See, typically when people worry, they gossip. And gossip is the cousin to worry. Gossip usually leads to complaining. And all complaining does is it just proves that you hear the devil more than you hear God. See, most Christians with bitterness have a need to justify their own sin. They usually do so with virtuous names for the sin, like discernment, wisdom. They attract people with complaints as it confirms their discernment. You see, all worry does, all worry does, this is all that worry does, is it chokes out the promises of God for your life. That's all worry does. It chokes out the promises of God for your life. There's things we can handle. There's things we need to be concerned about. There's things that we need to take care of. But the things outside of our realm, look, we just have to trust God. We gotta do what he's saying. Last thing about fear, then I'll talk about the three keys real briefly. Wisdom can be driven by fear. <gasps> what do you mean, Pastor Jake? That's, don't say that. Well, wisdom can be driven by fear. Here's what I mean. Sometimes wisdom is the mask we put on because we're fearful. But we don't want to say that we're fearful, so we call it wise. See, when God speaks, when he says something, it's up to us to obey, not to try to wiggle our way out of an impossibility and call it wisdom. When God says to do, it's not up to us to go, well, you know, I don't know. That's not very wise, God. Listen, the only wise choice in the direction of the Lord is to step forward. That's the only wise choice, right? Fear looks like wisdom to those without risk. Fear looks like wisdom to those without risk. And when it comes to wisdom, wisdom, we have to understand that we have to have a renewed mind. 
And you know how you have a transformed mind? You guys know how you have a transformed mind? Is when the impossible looks logical. That's how you know you have a transformed mind. Is when the impossible looks logical. It looks like, oh yeah, I think we can do that. I love sitting in our board meetings. Why? Because we get around and we go, I don't know. <laughs> what do you guys think? And we all go, what does God say? And we all go, okay, that's what he's saying. And then we all go, well, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's construct a plan. Let's make it happen. Let's get this thing to work. It's the reason why next month you're going to find out. But for those of you who are here, it's the reason why we just signed the occupancy permit on our building back there. It's super cool. Why is that? Because that's three years in the making, right? But it all started with somebody in a meeting going, guys, I think we need to step forward. But we don't have money. Yeah, I hear God saying this. Let's trust him. But what about this? And we all talk about it and we all come with it. But the wisdom part of all of it is not to just go, well, I don't know. But it's for us, for us to step out when he begins to say something. Because delayed obedience is still disobedience. So these ideas are simple gauges that we should consider when we think about fear. Now, if the things of the world, the things even in our circle overwhelm us to the point that it consumes us so much that that's all we think about, I'd suggest to double check our spirit of fear meter. It might be higher than your faith meter. If all we do are concerned and consumed with the things going on in the world, our outside, even within our circle, right, the things that are going on within just our family, all those, if it, all it does is consume us, and I know it's right there, if all it does is consume us, then I suggest to you this morning to maybe take an in-depth look in your heart and see if we're actually being controlled and living in the spirit of fear. Because it may be time for us to surrender that fear into the Lord and begin to have faith about the situation and things going on in your life. Amen? So in this verse, 1 Timothy chapter 2, well, 1 verse 7, Paul is actually coaching Timothy, his spiritual son. And Paul says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but what he was saying was, God did not give us a lack of self-assurance, courage, or bravery. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's telling and coaching Timothy, hey, Timothy, listen, you're my spiritual son. I know you're right in the middle of, of doing some church plants. I know you're taking and you're managing the church right now. I want to encourage you, Paul is saying. I want to encourage you. God did not give you a spirit of a, a lack of self-assurance. He didn't give you a lack of courage. He didn't give you a lack of bravery. No, just the opposite. Paul instructs Timothy and says, he actually gave you power, love, and a sound mind. That's what God gave you. Not a spirit of fear to be controlled by it, but he gave you a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. So let's unpack those real quick. Power. Remember last week we practiced this. Everyone say power. Right? <laughs> it's just a visual thing. Okay, one more time. Power. Now you better be doing that every time you say the word power from now on. Because people will look at you and be like, what are you doing? <laughs> power. See, last week we talked about the importance of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives for faithful living and overcoming heart and the power to do the things that Jesus actually said that we can do. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 17 through 20 says this, for this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. And he will remain with you, and he will remain, remind you, sorry, he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Now, some have become arrogant, as though I was not coming to you. 
but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I shall find out, not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. And I love this verse. There's a double entendre to this verse. Number one, because it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 20. And all of you who have know what that means, you know what that means. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. Power. See, we have to be careful in these last days that we do not replace the power of God with intellect and knowledge, or even fancy sayings, or even fancy preaching. Hear what I'm about to say. I'm not saying don't be intellectual or don't have knowledge. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this. What God is looking for in these days is not how much you know, but what you do with what you know. How is the knowledge of God translating into power encounters that actually lead to Christ? How is what you know translating into a power encounter that can lead someone to Jesus Christ for them to come to know Jesus? See, intellect should confirm and affirm the power of God, not deny it. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because we got a lot of smarty pants churches around here, but we don't have a lot of powerful churches around. A lot of people who want to know all the great things, the six different ways on how to do this and the eight different ways on how to do that. And we want knowledge, 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 right? And we want to learn all these things. But what are we doing with the knowledge that we have? How is it being applied to our life? What kind of changes on who are you leading to Jesus? Because the things that you know are not just for you to know. The things that you know are there to point to the one who knows everything. It's for all of us to lead people to Jesus. That's what it's about. I just need to go to my other Bible study. Look, go all the Bible studies you want. Praise God for those things. But don't let those things just get you spiritually fat. Get on the place where we begin to spread that love of Jesus to everybody that we know to lead people to him, to actually operate in the power of the Holy Spirit that he gave you. See, if we try to explain everything that we know and don't know of God, it will take a lifetime. But God wants his church not just to be intellectual. Praise God for intellect. Come on, somebody. Hear what I'm saying. Hear my heart in this. Praise, praise God. For intellectual, uh, being intellectual and knowledge and getting wanting to know more of him. I'm happy about that. We should want to desire that. We need that. But God's looking for a church and for a people that will move in signs, wonders, and miracles like the early church did. The Acts Church is the blueprint for the end time church. And let me suggest to you this morning that it started in purity and it's going to end in purity. Acts chapter 2, verses Verse 17 says this, in the last days, God says, I will pour my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. You wanna know the intellect and the knowledge of God? Well, it's right here. Your young men are gonna prophesy. What does that mean? I'm not talking about necessarily, you know, the young men back in the day didn't have the book of Revelation. They didn't have the, the pie charts. 
They didn't have those things. No, what they had was, this is what I hear God saying. This is what we're going to do. Let's move this way. They began to prophesy, to speak something into existence that wasn't there. That's prophetic words. That's prophetic meaning. To release the word of God that's in your heart to see it come to fruition. And them old people, the OGs of the Bible, I got five years left to be in that group, the OGs here at the church. I'm getting there. As long as you got tater tot hot dish, it's all I care about. Now, talking about, I'm talking about the old man. They had dreams. They had visions. And they came to the people and they said, man, God showed up in my dream last night. Jesus appeared to me. An angel came and he led me over here and he led me over there. Let me tell you, the signs, wonders, and miracles of the New Testament church are even going to be rampant more now than they ever have been. So we better be prepared in our hearts and in our lives to move with what God is doing. We have to. See, God never intended for us just to live in theory, but in power to experience what he said would be possible. The second key for end time believing is love. The Bible says that in the last days, the love of many will grow cold. I love the King James version of it. It's called wax cold. Let me just rewind here for a second. In August, we're gonna watch a movie here called Send Proof. The movie Send Proof is an intellect, knowledge person who, who followed Pentecostalism, charismaticism, charismatic churches and said, I see all these healings, but I don't see the proof behind them. So he went on a venture in a documentary to say, where's the proof? And they come to find out, spoiler alert, there's actually a ton of proof out there from doctors that said, it was like this yesterday, and now it's not like this. We don't know what it was. And there's a whole story to that. So be prepared for that, okay? So love. In the last days, the Bible says that love, the love of many was gonna wax cold, it's gonna grow cold. How many of you guys see that apparent in our culture today? Right? We're seeing this played out super strong in our country. And here's how. I'm gonna make up a word for you. It's, called, it's actually called the new religion. It's called hypocritism. Being a hypocrite. Wokeism is the other one, right? It's these new religions that are out there that says, if you don't do what I do, then I'm going to shun you, right? I'm going to shun you. I'm going to put you on the outcast, your outcast, right? And then what's funny about it is that those people who say those types of things, they're actually the ones doing the exact opposite of what they're preaching. The love of many will grow cold. How? By people saying one thing, yet doing another, yet putting the limitations on you and me. They say, you better do this. If you don't, I'm going to cancel you. You're not going to have a voice any longer. I suggest to you this morning that love is not tolerance. And tolerance is not love. That's a misguided definition of love. One of the greatest stories in the Bible that defines love is found in John. It's the prostitute woman who was caught in adultery. I love this story. Real quick, the Pharisees wanted to go and, 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 and trick Jesus and trap him into a thing. And so they went and they found this adulterous woman. The Bible actually says that they caught her in the act of adultery. 
They went and found this adulterous woman and they threw her right before Jesus. I can't say that she was completely undressed because the Bible doesn't say that, but I'm going to assume if they caught her in, in adultery in the act of it, they didn't put any clothes on her. And they brought her before Jesus. Jesus then said, you with no sins, why don't you go ahead and cast the first stone? Because actually in those days, if you were, if you were an adulterous person, especially a woman, you were actually supposed to be stoned to death in the middle of people. So people can see who you were and they can cast judgment on your sin. So here they all are, Pharisees and all, ready to throw stones. And they say, yeah, but Moses, the religion that I serve, actually says that this needs to happen. Jesus says, you with no sin, go ahead and curse, cast the first stone. And they all looked at each other. Bobby, you got sin? How about you? How about you? Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay. Well, if that's the case, boom, they dropped their rocks. Until there was nobody left, Jesus came, put the robe of righteousness on top of her, picked her back up, and this is where I wanna just make this point about love. Jesus looked at this woman and says, hey, go and sin no more. Jesus doesn't tolerate sin. He identifies it, and he says, you're better than that. Go, and don't do that anymore. The last one is this. The last key is this, and then I'm done. It's sound mind. The Bible defines us as self-control. You guys can play some music back there. This is defined in the Bible as self-control, which is the fruit of the Spirit. Again, let me encourage you to be filled with the Spirit of God. The Bible in the last days for the believer will be fought in the mind. The thoughts that swirl, the deception of believing who we think we are rather than how God sees us, that's the battlefield of the mind. The enemy in these last days will begin to lay trip minds in your thought life that will attempt to get us to doubt God, believe things that are not true about him, and get us to fall away from him. The Bible puts it like this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1 through 2. It says, but the Spirit explicitly says that in the later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. See, there are spirits right now that are roaming the earth trying to deceive you into thinking God is not real, nor is he here to be with you. To get you to feel his lack of love, Let me encourage you this morning, don't fall into the trap. Don't fall into the trap. Renew your mind by surrounding yourself with people who have faith and battle through the battlefield of the mind. Go through it. The other way we can practice self-control is found in Isaiah chapter 26, verse three. It says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on you because he trusts you. How many of you guys would agree that voices around, they're swirling around you, trying to get you to pay attention to them? Media, all the prophetic words out there, this and this, this and that, this and this, this and that. There's too much going on in the world. Great Bible teachers, politicians, speaking into your mind, family, 
just shooting arrows into your, darting into your mind. The battlefield is happening right now, right here in your mind. And every single one of those voices are trying to vie for your attention to convince you that they're right. And somehow the voice of God gets lost in those distractions and in our own thoughts. Clarity of the mind, heart, and soul is imperative in these last days. Because if we get distracted from the heart of God, we will surely miss out on his assignments. So how do we get into the place of having a sound mind? Super easy. Get into your secret place. That's how. It's why we talked and that's why we sang about the secret place this morning. There's no other way. You can fill your mind up with this. You can fill your mind up with that. But until we're in that place with Jesus, that's all that matters. That's the only thing. That's the only place where God can empower you to love like he loves so you can love the people around you. It's the only place where you can find the strength and the power not just to make it, but to thrive in these last days. It's the only place where you can have clarity of mind and clarity of heart so you can hear his voice. And it's found in the place where you and him exist together. Where you and him speak to one another. So if there's anything that I can do this morning to call you, that's this. Don't miss the secret place of God. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Find that place again. What does that place look like? Very quickly. It's a place where you can go Sometimes it's got to be a physical place. There's been times in my life where I had to drive and go sit by a lake somewhere just so I can be with him. With no distractions, no phone, no radio, no music, just him. It's finding that place with Jesus where you can sense, feel his unconditional love for you. So that way you can speak to him and he can speak right back to you the truth of who you are so you can have successful living. Amen? I hope you enjoyed today's message, and my prayer is that you live in love like Jesus did.